let's see. I'll go a couple of uglies and then a good. Uh, first ugly <laughs> is uh, the, the guys and some of the folks who listen to this are aware of this. Our, uh, our dog uh, had basically had a pretty bad allergic reaction to something that we'll never know what it was. Um, happened very, very quickly last Saturday. Um, thankfully, uh, we were with her and recognized it and were able to uh, take her to a vet who fixed it. Um, but it was, it was scary for us because we love our dog. And as uh, I think Logan has mentioned before, probably not on the show, maybe on the show, like uh, in our family, we often love our dogs more than we love most people. So um, it's uh, it was a it was a weekend for us. Um, things are on the upswing, so that's sort of a good um, positive moving forward. She's doing better and making progress, so uh, we're happy about that. But it was an ugly way to start uh, what was going to be a long weekend, uh, three day weekend. Um. My my next ugly has to do with uh, the weather, but it's not really the weather necessarily. I'm going to go a different way with it. So we we got a bunch of not a bunch, but a lot of snow compared to what we've got in the past few winters here in the DC area. Um, we probably got four ish inches where I live, which uh, is enough to you know close school for the day and you know lead to you not going to a lot of places. So. Uh, you know, like this past Tuesday, school closed down. Our kid was at home. Fortunately, we, you know, fortunately, sort of not unfortunately, or sort of not fortunately, we were able to work from home. Uh, so you're kind of juggling all of that. But a couple of times throughout the day, you took your kid out and you played and you had fun and, you know, sort of had the old school snow day that we, we used to have when we were growing up. Uh, but in the afternoon, as we're outside with our kid, you know, they had come through and plowed a lot of the area and people had cleaned up their sidewalks and all this stuff. And I'm just like looking around at one point and I'm noticing all of these people like getting in their cars and like needing to go places. And I'm just like, you've been home for like 36 hours, they you know, 24 hours. I mean, the gosh, just be still and like maybe take it in a little bit, you know, like it's the, the one good thing about snow is like it's it falls everything gets super quiet because it's on the ground like it's just a very it's sort of like christmas is in the sense that for the most part um black and white spotted pig that is a massive squeaker in it and i'm feeding him at five o'clock in the morning uh the other day and he just grabs it and just starts going to town like, dude, all, everyone's sleeping upstairs. And he just looks at me with his mouth and just kind of like slowly, while staring at me, opens his mouth and slowly shuts, bites back down on it, just making a loud <laughs> squeak. Like, just like, who? yeah, no, sorry, this is my house. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, um, we, Morgan, our friend of the podcast, Brett, his dog, when we were living together. Uh, did a very similar thing. He was squeaking and squeaking and squeaking and squeaking. And it, finally, it was Brett or me or somebody was like, all right, enough. And he stopped and he stared at us for a minute. And then he squeaked it one more yeah. time and stared at us. 
It's like such a like little toddler move, but they know what they're doing. It's like, oh, you mean this? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's why I like I looked at him and said, Yeah, tough guy, aren't you? I took it and put it up on the counter. He couldn't get to it. Extremely <laughs> familiar. He found he found something else. One of them being my shoe when I wasn't looking. Morgan, we have we have very your dog's what, like three weeks behind my dog or something like that? I think so, yeah. So wait wait until you get to the honk phase. Because then everything needs to be honked. And Oh, oh, trust me. I I yeah, he humped me. He tried to he tried to hump me for a week or two there. Yeah. So we had to take away all the toys uh that he appreciates humping so now he just humps <laughs> his little toys hanging out of his mouth it looks ridiculous keyword dick well, so, uh, it makes me think of uh, family guy when uh they, the family got a new dog and he told a story yeah your 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 friend rupert his uh, teddy bear he loved me humping him <laughs> but anyway back back to the good bad and the ugly um my uh, my bad, uh, keeping it with Brody last night. Um, he just jerked himself awake, scream. What even? I don't know if he woke up. He screamed out like just a loud scream, and just started shaking and screaming like, un- like scaredly talking about ghosts. Like ghosts, the, the ghosts again, they're coming. The ghosts are coming. Yeah. And we we're like, well, what the hell? He's just laying there, like trembling in Crystal's arm, arms just like scared out of his mind about ghosts. Um, and he fell back asleep. And then about a couple minutes later, jerked and just jerked, moved quickly and screamed again, and just just talking in his sleep, talking about ghosts trying to get him. And yeah, that was. That was at first, and in a new new one, as we talked about moving to the next phase. You know, as you know, you get nightmares being becoming. I guess it's around that that time frame. I guess when you know nightmares and dreams are kind of starting to generate. So we got that to look. Got that going on. Um, felt I feel for him, man, because I literally had a nightmare three weeks ago. Woke up in a cold sweat, freaking out. So they ain't fun. <laughs> no, they're not. And he just—he was so scared. We felt so horrible for him. Like we didn't like. We just, you know, all we could do is just kind of hold him tight and just rub his back and tell him he's okay. You know, he's he's safe. And then so all day today, <clears throat> whenever I got around, I was like, "Hey, Dad." Dad, uh, Dad took care of the ghosts. Very like Dad, Dad pretty much like, and it's not—I can't remember the exact words you say, but pretty much for saying like Dad beat up the ghosts. <laughs> Good, yeah, that's exactly. There you go, man. So, uh, uh, that was a tough one, man. I was not prepared for that. I knew, I mean, obviously, you know, it's going to come eventually, but you just—I guess—some of the things you're just never prepared for because. You never know what's going to the first one's going to happen. Um, and then on to my ugly, and I'll just keep that one short and to the point. Um, Virginia Tech's men and women's basketball team is just—I uh, wasn't expecting much out of the men's basketball team this year, but the women's basketball team, being that they were in the final 
four last year and had all the pieces returning, including some top recruits coming in this year. Um, I expect that, you know, to, for them to stay ranked all pretty much all year long like they were last year. And after tonight's loss to, to Duke, and there's no, no disrespect to Duke or anything, but um, I doubt they'll be ranked after tonight. And uh, so it's just, yeah, I guess everyone had high expectations for them to have a really big year again this year. And it seems like they're uh, missing a few, I guess, not hit, hitting on all cylinders this year. Maybe they came in believing too much of the hype and like so many teams who come back, I guess their britches get too big and they need to get a little grounded here and regain the composure and get back to it. So that's my, my good, bad, and the ugly. Well, your men's basketball team will get a win this Saturday. Mark it down. No, they won't. <laughs> now, Padula, or whatever, he's, he's not. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, good, bad, and the ugly. Sure. So is this, this is, Help me. Is this our first podcast of the year? It might be. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Well, so, we're not. <laughs> so, damn, I thought we've I thought we recorded since. Um, we might have. Let me look real quick. No, I think we could be talking about New Year's, that we don't talk about New Year's Day like resolutions and crap. Yeah, it's our second. January 5th, we did put one out. So 13 days ago. All right. So yeah. the reason why. All right. So the reason why I asked that, your point, that's pretty good. It's funny. I hope I didn't mess up. I hope I didn't mess up your good, bad, and the ugly or whatever it's going to be. <laughs> it's just funny that we're like burned out with like work and life, like in the background. And we're like, I don't know. Do we do a podcast? Who knows? So. Yeah. No, that's that's 100% true. And I think that's true for all four of us. Work yeah. and life has kind of grinded, grinded our gears. So... Uh, but just like one senator from Massachusetts, nevertheless, we persisted. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, I think she had a, she had a princess name, right? So uh, <laughs> I, I, um, the only reason I was asking is because it's always, just, it's always really funny to me when um, I told Logan when I hopped on, I was like, yeah, I, I don't have a good bad in the ugly, but I, I've got a couple of things that I could put together. So this is like the pre-talk before we get on the pod. And it's hysterical. I haven't talked to Dustin. I haven't talked to Morgan about this. We don't plan this. It, it's been 13 days since we've done a podcast, apparently. And sure enough, if it doesn't play in perfectly with what I was going to say was what they said, right? Which is easy to claim when you go third. But so uh, my good. So Morgan's talking about his bad basketball team. Guess what my good was going to be the whole time. This is the only one I knew that I was definitely positively going to say. I actually think for the first time in a, quite a while, I'm actually kind of excited about Carolina basketball. They're actually playing really well. I think that they're actually one of the five best teams in the country. And I'm, I'm, I'm really, really, as I was telling my wife last night, going to be bore you to death with the five teams that I think are the best because they're all the teams that exactly what you would expect. It's Kansas and Kentucky and Carolina. And so I, uh, I would like to point out, you say for the first time in a while, as you played for a national championship three years ago. 
I know it's a girl. <laughs> Anyways, continue. <laughs> One bad season, and it's been a long time. It has been a long time. Oh, we haven't been to a Final Four in ages. <laughs> to be fair, we. To be fair, we also haven't been doing NIT in ages. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'll say this though: that season. Yeah. It, and I hate to defend this, but that season was a. a they hit a run over like seven weeks. Oh, yeah. That was just it, it. That season was not that final four was not indicative of that season. No way. And, and I can't hate more that they hit the run that they hit because it sucks for me. And so it, you know, they just hit the run at the right time and that season turned out well. And then the next year they were awful. Which I guess is because Duke was probably the one team that was probably best suited to beat Kansas in the Final Four that year, and then Carolina knocks them out. So yeah, it was a it was terrible timing for Coach K's last hurrah. My brother in law wanted to go to the Carolina game in Philly, and we had been so iffy that year that I didn't want to go because it's no fun to pay however much money. It it was more than a hundred dollars, I can tell you that, to go to the game and watch your team lose. I'm like, this sucks. So, like, that's why that's why I never want to go to an NFL playoff game or like a Super Bowl. Like, if your team's in it, no way, no way. So, uh, I mean, maybe that's the scared game, but like at the same time, like uh, I'm just trying to avoid not feeling like an ass. <laughs> like at the end of spending a lot of money. Uh, so my good was going to be, uh, anyways, my good was going to be Carolina because like, in I'm not, I know I'm a Carolina fan, but and I know that this is a Southern podcast, but like. All I'm going to say is like they have been knocking off teams and and they are playing good defense. Just that last sentence alone is crazy. Carolina doesn't. I mean, they have good. They have like a guy that plays defense. That's your Marcus Ginyard. That's your whoever. But like everybody else, it's offense. It's the four and one, four and one, box and one, right? So like it's all the point guard. That's again, don't need to break it down. But anyone that knows anything about Carolina, right? It's kind of. The, it's it's the, the 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 knock on them if you wanted to have a knock on them is that they are offense and that they are uh you know high flying and dunking and jordan and and Baycott and all the other guys in between jameson and whatever and then um like the knock on like kentucky is like five new guys every year right so like i guess what i'm saying is like there's a certain thing if you look Duke is always the team that's known for defense and and little scrappy white guys, but mainly defense. So like like the fact that North Carolina or even UVA, right? UVA is known for their defense. So like the fact that North Carolina has actually figured out how to play defense is actually very exciting because it's really cool to see them put the team together. And I don't know like what sort of like weird like life succubus that like Caleb Love was, but apparently like that's the problem. Because the team really hasn't changed that much. And they were horrible last year. So I don't know if they all just got older or if they're all on steroids or what we're going to find out. Maybe maybe none of them are going to classes and all their tutors are just doing their work for them. And they're just able to practice basketball all the time. I have no clue what's, what's turned around. But there I is precedent. <laughs> the, coach, <laughs> the coach is the same and the players are the same. So I don't really understand. Uh, all right. So my bad. I was going to riff on the weather, but I won't do that because you already talked about the weather. But I have spent the last 11 days in a combination of 
uh, more or less Boulder, Colorado. Um, I sent the guys a picture of Dion's uh, Mr. Sorry, I guess he's known as Coach Prime now. His, uh, <laughs> his, his new digs, which is pretty dramatic with the mountains in the background and stuff like that. So it's out in Boulder, and I think the weather out there at one point was negative 16 or something. I, I tried to Google it before the podcast and couldn't. As the guys know, I couldn't find what it actually was. So please don't pin me to the ground if it wasn't exactly negative 16. It was under zero. So that was enjoyable, uh, especially traveling for work. Um, it's always fun when you get to rent a car too. You're like, can I please have a car that's all wheel drive? And they're like, we in Colorado, they're awesome. They're like, we only rent cars with all wheel drive. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> um, and then I went to Texas. And the reason I was going to bring up Texas uh, is their weather was also shitty there. It was uh, negative one on one day that I went out. But thankfully, it was it's drier. So when you are out in that weather, it actually negative one in Texas, um, unless there's wind, but negative one in Texas actually feels kind of like 30 degrees here because uh, the humidity on the East Coast, and especially because I live out near the water, the humidity makes such a big difference that, um, that if it's humid in the air, it's going to feel like way, way, way like damper and it kind of seeps into your bones. Whereas if it's just cold, I mean, like you still got to watch out for ice and stuff like that. But my uh, my bad was while I was in Texas experiencing this kind of weather, um, the Cowboys were also in the playoffs. Now, I don't know if Texas necessarily qualifies as the South or not, because it's kind of its own country. But uh, the Cowboys in the playoffs in Dallas, I really, this is a good bad. I enjoyed the badness of the radio, the local sports radio announcers going just absolutely nuts about how great the Cowboys were leading up to the game. And I mean, the Cowboys are going to wax the Packers. There's no reason for the Packers to even show up. I mean, no disrespect to the Packers, but like, we're looking, we're, you know, we're on to San Francisco and like <laughs> just, just going on and on and on. And I, it, it got to the point where I was like, man, if I'm only, I don't want to listen to this all, all the time, like 365 days a year, but for like the three days or whatever, I'm down here leading up to the game. I'm totally, whenever I'm in the car, I'm listening to these people just be crazy. So I'm sitting there. I'm, I had to work over the weekend, which I guess is a bad. Um, I actually haven't stopped working since uh, uh, New Year's, but that's another comment for another podcast. Um, I uh, haven't had a weekend off yet, speaking of being burned out. And uh, I, uh, I'm watching the Packers while I'm doing work beat the everlasting shit out of the Cowboys, I think at one point it was 26 to nothing in the first quarter. I mean, like, just beat the hell out of them. And I told my wife this. I went out at halftime when it was negative one degrees outside. And I sat in the car during halftime, and I listened to the Cowboys radio station. And they were apoplectic. They were, like, pulling their hair out. They were like, this is the end. Like, when's Bill Belichick coming to town? Blah, 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 blah. Like, there is, it was awesome. So... I literally went out and sat in a car and just ran my car and listened to local sports radio, just pull their hair out because it was awesome. Like I was so happy. I don't even care about like the NFL or the Cowboys or anything. It was so awesome to like be in a town and just listen to everybody be so confident. And then like your team just completely fall apart. Like it was, it was it, for me, that was bad, but it was also like, really, I, I got some, I don't know, is that shit in fraud when you like get ha happiness out of somebody else's misery? <laughs> Like, so like, I guess college sports. <laughs> so, 
yeah. people are doing the horns down thing in the game I'm like, <laughs> like, just i don't know it was funny and then uh uh well my ugly i already kind of hinted around at it but that's very simple is um as a grumpy podcast that is called miserable and reckless now perhaps the two uh, the two gentlemen are not reckless but they are definitely miserable. In fact, <laughs> this week we lost press conferences from both Nick Saban and Bill Belichick for the foreseeable future until any of them get hired. That is miserable to me. The fact that we lost their one-worded answers, the fact that we lost their grumpiness, the fact that we lost their halftime interviews where they look at the where they look at the reporter like, "Are you really going to fucking ask me this with their eyes?" <laughs> Like just the just their general overall grumpiness. Um, there is a meme, forget if I found it or if one of you guys found it, where it's the two of them talking and the meme says, like, no, I said you go on Tuesday and I go on Wednesday and like don't ask again or whatever. It's like the two of them like bickering back and forth about who's gonna have their press conference and who's gonna have the second press conference because it's more important if you have the left but you you make the other guy go first and I just so I think it's a bummer that we have certainly lost Saban. I know Belichick's in the running now to potentially land in Atlanta, which makes about zero sense. And what, 15 seconds into the press conference, are they going to ask about 28 to three? I mean, come on. Y'all, y'all Falcons fans can't possibly be cheering for this man. He, he, he embarrassed you on front of live TV. Like 28 to three is, is, is like put on billboards in new Orleans, like just to troll you. So I don't know. <laughs> So that's my ugly. My ugly is we lost those coaches and uh as in like we lost them from the the press conferences and all the hysterical well, give, so. give it another give it another couple of days. Bill will probably be the head coach at, at Atlanta. It just doesn't make sense to me. He should he, he really should come to Washington. Uh, but whatever. I'm not even that big of a commander's fan. I think he probably doesn't want anything to do with that organization. <laughs> well, it's no longer the same organization that Dan Snyder once ruined. Like, there's nothing resembling anything that, you know, the team that he, that man once owned. Yeah. That new, new GM. Owners, knew everything. So, that new GM from the 49ers may not, may not be something that he wants to work with. No, he's that guy's gonna want someone young, probably. So, no, I will say that losing Saban was kind of one of those moments in sports where you kind of makes you go like, "Huh," because like it's it's about like when Coach K retired and then Roy Williams retired. Like Saban is a giant of the sport, you know. In my opinion, he's the greatest of all time in college football, and like with seven national titles, two different schools. A lot of people forget about the one he won in 03 at LSU, but the man's won everywhere. He's been a head coach in college, and uh, uh, I think Les Miles was 06. I think he was with the Dolphins, and um, Saban was with the Dolphins in 06 for a brief little period, a cup of coffee, as they say. But, like, losing Saban, like, you know, giant of the sport. And then I watched ESPN did a really nice um, video package about what Nick Saban's meant to college football. And, you know, I, 
it's going to be weird to see what happens with Alabama after that because they're in a bad spot now. They made a solid hire. I don't know if it's going to be a slam dunk hire, but a solid hire getting Washington's coach. But <clears throat> now because of Saban retiring, they have 30 days to uh, for the kids to enter the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. They're losing a lot of talent. Oh yeah, they got championship to Georgia. Yeah, what is a five, five like a five stars at a receiver or DB just decommitted? Um, yeah, Caleb Downs. Yeah, yeah. Which is I did find funny all the Tar Heel people saying, "Come on home, Caleb," uh, because his brother played at Carolina, his father played at NC State, so we both have equal claim to telling him to come home. <laughs> no, no disrespect to either two of those teams just mentioned. Anyone who decommits from middle uh, Alabama is more than likely either going to be hidden to either Georgia or Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, he, he looks to be going to Georgia. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and like I said, no disrespect to either of y'all's teams. Like, they're not going to decommit. Morgan's like, I said, nothing. I don't mean no harm. <laughs> yeah. I like, said with all due respect. Yeah. <laughs> Well, like oh, I saw today, the there was yeah. There you go. I oh, saw man. someone put up a picture of, of Lane and was just like the the vultures are circling. Like, cause <laughs> it, oh yeah, they're going after him. I, I'll I mean, say there like, might be there might be a few that there might be a few like other positions that might when they decommit might you know all right I'll, I'll go check out you know Carolina. I mean they're nationally you know recognized team. They'll get coverage even if they they'll get coverage <laughs> even if they lose fifty four to fifty two. Well, did you see the interview with Lane where they no. got him like on the street or something? I wish I had the source. Maybe you know Logan. And they asked him, this is before they made the hire of the Washington coach in Alabama. And they asked him about the opening at Alabama. And he like, stopped dead and looked him right in the eye. And he's like, what? I, I hadn't heard. And just kept moving. And like, that was <laughs> it's like, I just appreciate that level of sarcasm. Like, it's not been broadcast <laughs> his phone like 17 times. Notifications, DMs, and people are hitting him up. And, you know, for all I know, Coach Saban called him before he, you know, hey, I'm going to leave you with the SEC West, you know, whatever. But what? Uh, Nick Saban time? Oh, crazy. All right, cool. Keep moving. <laughs> he's been a master troll on twitter he's been posting photos of things in tuscaloosa <laughs> the last few days <laughs> yeah um it it's interesting with saving in the sense of like we we've talked about a bunch on this podcast like the old guards leaving college sports and it's so it's just a continuation of that trend i did see yeah. a comment from him where he said, uh, he basically was like, I'm, I forget whether he's 71 or 72, but he's basically like, I'm 72. This is a grind. And I just got tired of the grind. It's like people were trying to like make it into more than it was. They're like, oh, it's NIL or it's this or it's that transfer portal. Like, you know, everybody's got an opinion, right? But he was, he, he's in his 70s. We, you know, like guys, like Coach K was also 72. And, Towards the end, I was thinking about Coach K when this happened because I I remember kind of those last couple of years that he coached. My view as a fan watching him coach, I felt like he was getting tired. Mm-hmm. It just looked that way to me you, as a you fan. Could frust- you could see the frustration on his face from getting more and more, and just like I just I can't keep doing this. 
Yeah. And I, you know, he recognized it to his credit and like, you know, made his decision to move on. Um, and same with Saban, like Saban, like essentially played the final four in football. Right. And like Mm -hmm. said, all right, I'm done. And, uh, I, you know, I don't pay close enough attention to Alabama to know if like Nick Saban was looking frustrated or not, but he's in the seventies. Like, you know, I can tell you, (laughs) sir, we were sitting on the, I'll never forget this. And we had this conversation like out loud between the two of us. We were sitting there and he was being interviewed before the Michigan game. And they had him. And I don't know if it was a bad light that they had him in. They had him at the team hotel. They clearly just done the walkthrough or something like that. He looked like shit. We both looked at each other and we were like, he looks awful. He looked like he had been up all night and he had like, like been on a bender. I mean, he looked bad to the point where I was like, is something wrong with Miss Terry? Like his wife? Like I'm like in the moment, I was like, it did something happen? Like is one of his kids in jail overnight? And like, we don't know about it yet. Like, cause you know, the Alabama can kind of keep stuff swept under the rug or whatever. He looked awful. So I bet you, yeah, I bet you what it, what it was, was he probably was up on it making that decision. Maybe. I mean, I don't, I don't pretend to know anything, but like that was my takeaway. And I, I, I was shook for a second because I thought like, oh, Alabama was going to come out here and lay an egg. And then like Michigan came out and like, it was a pretty good game. Like for the most part, I mean, it was a little sloppy, but like, especially for Alabama standards, but like Alabama, like looked sloppy to a certain extent. And I was well, like, they didn't lay an egg, but like, usually they're way more prepared than this and they're way more disciplined than this. I wonder if, 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 if it didn't leak out a little bit before. I got, I got uh, two, two thoughts real quick on the, uh, on Nick Saban. I wonder if, you know, now that we look back at it, um, you know, the, the committee putting Alabama in, uh, to the playoffs, yeah. if maybe this decision was maybe quietly already made, and they were kind of like, "Let's put Nick in the playoffs one last time, one last shot for another title." Just asking questions. I'm, I didn't know that that's, uh, <laughs> not granted, making a third, Granted, granted, a fourth, granted, a practice squad quarterback for Florida State going up against. You know the other three teams would have been brutal to watch, very very bad. But still, it, nonetheless, you know, even, you know, I'm curious about that. And then also, yeah, I'm sure y'all saw Reggie Bush's comments about uh, kind of the, I guess, I'm sure he backpedaled, but everyone saw for what it was being disrespectful to Nick Saban. What do you say? Well, he was yeah, talking I about. He's talking about how like bullcrap the, the the game's getting too tight for him. He's running away from the NIL. He can't he can't win the way Alabama was winning anymore for the NIL and the transfer for transfer portal. Like he's like it's the the, the playing level uh, playing field is leveled now. And you know, so what if he was man was seventy two? Like still, the game had changed so much. It's like it's the same reason that the Jay Wrights of the world, the Roy Williams of but, the world, Coach K got out of basketball. You know. Like I, I didn't really have any negative things to say about Reggie Bush before, but that just was like, really, dude? Like, like you, you need to just shut up. Like, you, you want to talk about doing things illegal in college? 
Well, like, come on, you allowed a school to give your family a job and a place to live, so you would come there to play football there. I still think they should give Reggie Bush's Heisman back. I no, I agree. I can agree with that. I agree with you on that, but he should still keep his mouth shut about what he said about Nick Saban. And and, and, thing- and I just disagree with the comment. Like, I, I think that maybe it was a hassle to deal with, especially yeah. as a 72 year old man. Sure. Oh, yeah. I don't think that he was any less going no. to be any less effective at Alabama. No, God, no. He was still going to get five he already recruits. Yeah. yeah. He, people wanted to play for him. Talented players yeah. wanted to play for him. Not only because of the Alabama brand, but because talented players go play for him and they go yeah. play for, in the NFL, and there was oh, a, a proven record of that. And so I, he was never going to lack for that. Um, and he I even just, said himself that you know he was like, "Look, I'm 72." He said, "Going into recruits' homes and looking at them and their parents in the face and them asking me, am I going to be around three to five more years?" He goes, "It got, mm-hmm. it got harder to uh, harder and harder to be honest about it." He said, "I just didn't know." And, you know, if you look at just the body of work that Nick Saban's done and his time in Tuscaloosa, not just the impact, and I'm not talking about just on the field, because, right, like you look at all the wins, you look at all the national titles and just how dominant Alabama's been, but just the work he's done with his foundation, Nick's kids, like the work he did after they've been devastated by some natural disasters. And then the University of Alabama has benefited more than any uh, – university in the country of a, of a head coach coming there because the enrollment has almost, I believe it has doubled since he showed up and they now have Rhodes scholars that are choosing to attend the university of Alabama because of the football program, what Nick Saban built. I mean, so for anybody out there and I'm, you know, I'm, I know people like this that are arguing that we should de-emphasize and get rid of athletics because it's an a- a institution of higher learning, right? Alabama has directly benefited due to having a dominant football program. And, you know, that's all due credit to Nick Saban, not to mention the he went out on a, a limb, so to speak, with a lot of flamed out head coaches, brought him in to Nick Saban's coaching rehab school. And, you know, Lane Kiffin was a beneficiary of that. Steve Sarkeesian, beneficiary of that. Bill O'Brien, beneficiary of that. Like, there's a lot of guys that got a, another chance at Alabama came in as an analyst, went up to offense coordinator, got another shot as a head coach. And, you know, with Sark and, and Lane, they, you know, they've been pretty successful so far. Uh, Nick Saban, there are a lot of coaches that, one, probably didn't have the clout to do that, but, two, like, you know, he he brought them in when a lot of people probably wouldn't have touched them and brought them in oh, in a good situation. And you you know that learning under Nick Saban like that made them better head coaches. Oh, yeah. It's similar to the dude up in New England. How many times we had Josh McDaniels come back? Five. <laughs> yeah. Here's here's one thing I'll point out about his age. Coach K was 72 when he retired. Nick Saban was 72 when he retired. Bill Belichick is 71. Mm-hmm. And a certain man who looks very good in Carolina blue when he's standing on the sidelines, 72 years old. So I'm just saying, if you're going to bet on the right horse, it's clear that I bet on the right two horses because they're the two that can't give it up. <laughs> it's Matt Brown and Bill Belichick still looking for a job. Matt's going to be in the, in the, in the recruits' living rooms this fall. Just, just are you going to be here in four years? Hell, hell if I know, but the food's great and the culture's <laughs> great. 
and come play for us. Now look at my national championship ring from Texas. (laughs) (laughs) I won that before you were born, son. (laughs) So if you're going to bet on the right guys, I didn't look up how old I should have. Oh, this oh, please tell me it's not. Morgan, when did when did Beamer retire? When did Beamer retire? 2015. That is how many years ago? I, mean, I don't I don't know if you've seen pictures of him recently. He is looking rough. Uh, Although he is also he's up there in age also, but he's like skinny like a bean pole right now. He's 77 right now. Yeah. So, so he retired. I know when he retired, they were questioning his health. But I think he, when he retired, yeah. he's much like Coach K. He's like, it got passed. I mean, Coach K was still doing great, but for Beamer, he knew it got past him and he couldn't recruit as great as he once could. And I think he knew it was time for him to leave before the program went further south and he started to, I guess, you know, not really ruin the reputation, but Somewhere close to that. You know, shout out the coaches for realizing when it's time to hang it up because, you know, they're like, hey, I'm in my 70s. I think it's time for me to enjoy retirement. If only we could convince people trying to run the country on in both parties that, hey, <laughs> 80 might not be a good age to run for president. It's going to be Belichick. He's going to be looking for a job with his fourth team or something when he's. <laughs> yeah. Part of that may, I, I know we're comparing and contrasting a little bit, and I'm doing it on purpose, but part of that may be, and I'm, I'm not trying to say anything. I know Belichick's a real good guy with like his kids, and obviously giving his, his, his kids a chance to be on the staff, which two years ago, hated. Now, not so bad. But um, I, uh, uh, I do wonder if there's something about um, Belichick not having anything at home, and by that I mean a wife. And Miss Terry, on the other hand, maybe kind of looking at Bella or uh, at Nick and saying, like, may not be here forever, you know? So if you want to have some time. Um, so th- that's that's an interesting play. But in case we're getting too melodramatic or whatever, I did look up Lane uh, Kiffin's age. He's 48. So that means based on the 72 thing, we should have another 25 years. Guy. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God. Yeah, someone needs to give a good press conference. <laughs> oh man yeah. well it'll be different I, but I did see it let your heart not be troubled Alabama Nick Saban's keeping his office so he'll be a, he'll be right there looking down at the football field every day yeah, there's one thing that a team needs it's a coach that just won't leave and just is at all the games I think uh, I think Bud Foster still comes to the Comes to tech almost every not every day, but every so often and has an office. I was referencing a certain Argyle wearing sweater. Oh. <laughs> He's just enjoying retirement, golf and basketball. Yeah. <laughs> oh sh- good good shots, man. Dad <laughs> <laughs> gum. <Dag> nabbit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I reckon it's my turn. Um, a good NC State beat Wake Forest to improve to five and one, tied for second in the ACC right now. It's the best start in the conference for NC State since 1989, which was ironically the last time they won the ACC regular season. So, you know, I don't. And the thing is, this is the bad. I guess I don't really know 
if this team's good, don't know if they're bad. Who knows with the way they've played right now. They, they also won their first game in 30 years against Wake Forest where they didn't make a single three-pointer. And so it's just like, what's going on? I don't know. Typical NC State. But, hey, we're winning right now, so I'll, I'll go with it. But during that game, the chippiness of the state weight game was quite good because Kevin Keats showed a little emotion for once, got ejected in the first half, kind of cool to see. And then the, we had a, almost a, a, a little bit of a skirmish breakout towards the end. There was like six technicals given, three ejections during that game. And uh, DJ Horn was made famous on the internet because he went to go chest bump his teammate, uh, Mike O'Connell. The, the referee said something to him about doing that. And he didn't realize it, but the camera was dead center on him walking up to the free throw line. And the referee turns around. He just leans back and gives him the double bird. And that just went viral on the Internet. It was hilarious. Barstool took that photo and said uh, something to the effect of ref pisses you off. Turns around, give him the double bird veteran move. (laughs) (laughs) Was that before or after the Carolina loss? That was after. Okay. That makes sense. Because y'all were getting chippy at the end of that game. And it was, it was, it was, I'm not talking shit. That was a good game. I mean, it was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I was looking at the records and I'm like, man, States, States better than their record. And they should be ranked. Like. Yeah. The reason they're not is because we've had f- four opportunities for a, a good win. And we're yeah. zero and four in those games. We've lost to four top 25 teams. We lost to Tennessee and by nine Carolina that that game got away from us at the end and ended up being a 13 point game got blown out by Ole Miss, and then we lost a – we blew the game and lost closely to BYU. So we've had four opportunities for a good win. All four losses, though, are to ranked teams. And I think, you know, some I think three of them are the top 15 teams, I want to say, but two of them being top 10 teams. But like I said, I don't know if we're good or if we're not at this point. <laughs> we're beating the teams we're supposed to, and we've lost to the good teams. So who knows? Well, shout out the big four. So – if, if Florida State ruins the conference and it all falls apart ne- before next season, at least the Big Four will have a good showing in the final year of the conference. So we got that going for us. Yeah, the uh, all up there at the top of the conference just says it, they intended in 1953. <laughs> <laughs> but here's my final of the good, bad, and the ugly. This one's a funny. Uh, just a little preview of something we do once or twice a month on Tailgate Season, Tailgate SCN, available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We have a segment called Message Board Madness. <clears throat> and I felt this one appropriate uh, due to Dustin being on the show uh, that on the Nebraska message boards, they're getting mad about their basketball now, right? So football, that was already frustrated them enough for the last decade plus that now they're getting mad about basketball. And they said <laughs> that a guy named Toto Husker started a thread and said, boosters, it's time to open the checkbook and get coach K. If we have such a robust NIL that we can easily, uh, then we can easily fire Hoiberg and hire Mike Krzyzewski. So that, that's, the, that's the message board grassroots effort now from the Cornhusker Nation about it's time for them to go get Coach K out of retirement and revive that Nebraska program out in the big world. Well, and then maybe they can get Roy Williams and Jay Wright as assistants. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want me to get my wife's uh, grandfather? To, he's 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 one of the alums. I'm sure he's a. Yeah. Do you want me to get him to get get it started and cut a check? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm gonna run for I'm gonna run for president too and win. <laughs> why don't 
Why don't they double down and get Nick Saban, a real football coach, to run their real <laughs> football program? At this there point, they, they get Nick Saban for football, Coach K for basketball. I mean, name a better duo. I'll wait. <laughs> Roy Williams, because Roy Williams beat Coach K. But <laughs> still had a losing record, Coach K. But I mean, overall, no. But that's not, <laughs> that's not what you're referencing. But if you want to talk head to head, and the only game that matters, which conveniently is <laughs> the only game that you're gonna say matters. Not yeah. That. Anyway. Oh, that's how we don't have to go down that in college football work right you just pick the thing that you want to talk about <laughs> my opponent's <laughs> record <laughs> that's the good the bad and the ugly morgan why don't you take us into the next segment gotcha well we were sitting earlier today trying to figure out what in the heck is what are we going to talk about tonight you know gotta come up with something i told the gang give me about 13 and a half minutes and uh, I come up with something. And sure enough, in less than seven minutes, I came up with a good topic. So that's being a Southern, you know, podcast. I got to thinking, you know, we're all from small towns. Well, most of us are. And from a Southern small town at that. But, you know, not all, not all small towns are Southern. You know, some are just small towns. But you got to thinking, well, what makes a what makes a uh, a small town in the south is an actual southern you know southern town? And so I figured, why not? You know, we can just kind of throw it around and just kind of talk about you know being the fact that we're from southern towns. And Ryan, you've been for all of our small southern towns as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I figured we can just talk about that, and you know, for me. You know, growing up in a southern town, one of the things you always noticed was at the high schools, at least it was then, um, about 70% of the damn cars in that parking lot are old pickup trucks that uh, belonged to their dad or their granddad. You know, so most of them had like a, a gun in the, in, in the hanging over the back as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I figured we could just throw it around and just kind of throw out what uh, each one of us thinks makes a town like a southern small town. Well, and uh, <clears throat> similar to that, Morgan, you were talking about like guns being involved. Like we had at my house, at least when I was in high school, we had like three rifles hanging on the wall in my younger brother's room. There was a couple of pistols stashed in cabinets throughout the house. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd venture to say that you probably don't have that in Connecticut. No. <laughs> I, I'm not going to defend Connecticut, but at the same time, I mean, I think guns are pretty well infiltrated throughout most of the small towns. Oh, yeah, probably. But a little, they, I think they uh, are a little harder to get a hold of in, yeah. in, in mass. <laughs> Yeah, true. Well, uh, yeah, I don't want to go. I don't want to go too far. But uh, Western Mass, everyone. So, one of the cool things about traveling for me, I'll, I'll, I'll out myself. I grew up in a very small town. I grew up in what I would consider to be a white, a white trash neighborhood in Maryland. <laughs> That's I'm dead serious. There was a dog that was off a leash. They had cinder block. The house opposite the. Sh- from our house, 
like across the, the little street. They had cinder blocks in their yard, period. And there was a, I'm dead serious, and there was a car that was on cinder blocks in their yard. They had a gravel driveway. They had a swing set that you had to like stake into the ground. Like it wasn't like a real swing set. Like you could like move it or like the wind could like, you know, blow it into their bay window or something. So like, I, I and that's not just our neighbors. That's how, the, how our street was. But it was not a Southern small town because I grew up in Maryland. Me and my wife have had this conversation and perhaps that's why we're husband and wife now. She grew up in Delaware and anyone on this podcast and anyone just in general would tell you that like Delaware is not the South. But if you grew up in Southern Delaware, you grew, you essentially grew up in the South. Anything that that you guys are talking about, like rifles on the back of the truck or, or, or gun rack on the back of the truck or going to a high school where you had a couple options. This is what I was going to posit. I, I don't know if you guys feel this is correct or not, but when I was in high school, maybe it's different now because the internet and other stuff, I, the internet existed when I was in high school, but like there's other <laughs> barely, barely there. Yeah. There's other stuff you can do. I mean, we didn't have cell phones, for example, until like I was in my senior year of high school. But, um, um, like when I went to high school, I went to a, a, a nicer high school because I had moved out of my town. But part of the reason I moved out of my town or my parents moved us out of my town is because the education opportunities at that high school was basically like the military or uh, a gang or like you know, entry level uh, service type industry type jobs. And my parents didn't think that that was a good fit for me. And they were okay enough to get me out of that situation. By but a lot of people that don't have the monetary resources that have to stay because they either can't afford to move or, or it's, you know, they're, they're out there. I'm curious if, if, if that's what you think a small town potentially is because my wife is, is very similar. She went to a, a school, but she is, quote, like, the one that got out. Like, a lot of other people have, like, stayed. And they're not in bad jobs, but they're in, like, what I would refer to as service jobs or hospitality. Or they're, they're just, maybe they run a hair salon. or the, But, like, they, they, they drive to the strip mall, and then, like, that's what they do. And they raise their kids. Or they're, or they're, or they're teachers. Or they're in the fire department. Or you get kind of where I'm going. Like, that's what you were going to do if you graduated. And it was almost like, like, uh, like pre-written, if that makes sense. Like choose from one of these like 10 different options. And I, I don't, I don't know if you guys like feel that way, but like, is that, do you, do you think that's a fair assessment of a Southern small town or, or not? The economy is definitely different uh, in I'll say this: past thirty years, the economy is definitely different yeah. than it would be uh, in our parents' generation. So, in our, in our generation, if you, if you look at my generation and look at my parents' generation, let's look at it that way. Mm -hmm. My generation, very few of us are living in our hometown, or even like close to our hometown. People moved away. You know, right. people live in Wilmington or Raleigh or Charlotte or Richmond or DC or somewhere, right? They move. Uh, there's a handful of people, not many, that are around the area. One of them, like, is 
in banking, you know, or something like that, right? Like they they found their path like that. But it's it with our parents' generation, there were different set of opportunities and sort of like incentives and stuff. And like there was there was more of an opportunity that yes, you could live here and earn a wage that allows you to raise a family and like live that life. I do think largely in in the towns that I'm familiar with, and it surely certainly seems this way anecdotally reading other stuff, that doesn't exist anymore in small towns. Like the the small town economy, you know, it's it's sort of symbolic. The Dollar General is kind of symbolic, right? It's symbolic of what it has become. And I'm not really anti-Dollar General because I think they serve a great purpose. Um, it's There's a really interesting, there's a professor at UC Charlotte who studies them, actually, and has written some interesting stuff about them. They really fill a, a niche that if you, anyone who, you know, I know we talk about Eastern North Carolina all the time here, but Eastern North Carolina, like, there's so many towns and places that Walmart like can't make money because Walmart's footprint is so big. So they have to turn volume to exist. Dollar general has basically figured out a model that allows them to serve populations that Walmart can't serve. And it's, it's but it's still symbolic of like where the, what their town has become. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's, so it's not really an anti dollar general statement. It's just a 30 years ago. It was different. 50 years ago, it was different. And today, that's sort of the reality of the of the town. That's, that's and for you. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, that's a key point of True South. I know I've talked about that show in the past, but uh, or on the podcast in the past, but the restaurant industry specifically, which is what they're super into, there's a lot of people that are basically aging out of these really classic restaurants that are really, and the people, as you pointed out, the people are moving out of their towns. They're not taking over the family business or they're yep. not, or they're not interested in working at Doe's Eat Place or whatever in, in, in Clarksville, Mississippi or Clarksdale, Mississippi or wherever. So I think I just got that wrong, but that's one of the uh, iconic places that they've covered and stuff like that. So that's all I was going to point out. Like it's, it, it, but they cover restaurants, but there's a whole, this is what I was saying. Like, I think there's a whole rack of other industries that are potentially going to go by the wayside, unfortunately, because of what you just pointed out, which is that houses were maybe cheaper back then. A lot of things were cheaper back then. And, uh, and, and, and you had the ability to turn a wage, as you pointed out, a living wage into, it could, it could go out into what you needed, basically. Maybe not what you wanted, but what you needed. Like mine and Dustin's Correct. hometown used to have multiple manufacturing options that a lot of people would go work at that, yeah. you know, the paper mill is the only thing that's left and the paper mill, you know, still makes lots of money, but it's, it's changed uh, parent companies multiple times since we were kids. Um, there, there really isn't a lot of job opportunities left in, in rural towns like that anymore. And like you said, asset prices have just gone up so much it, in a lot of ways. There's a lot of like still, uh, good things about small communities, uh, but there's it's a lot more of a dour outlook than it probably once was for like our parents' generation, unfortunately. 
And, you know, like you say, you leave because you have to make more money in order to be able to afford those things. But ironically, you have to move to a place where it's even more expensive than it would have been if you had lived in your your hometown. So it's kind of like you're caught between a rock and a hard place um, in that situation. I It, it really is like I, I will say one thing specifically that I, I think is a pretty southern small town thing. You can get this in other areas and uh, like you probably still get this around like the Raleigh area now, but it's. In Running Rapids, I know that like there are country churches that they have Brunswick stew sales, right? Like I feel like that's a pretty southern thing for a small oh, yeah. town that makes a small town a southern small town. Cause like literally just over Christmas, me and my granddaddy went and they bought a bunch of quarts of stew for all of us. And they said my grandma gave them to us and says, Make sure y'all get this. And we can if you don't want it right now, you can freeze it and you can uh, you can thaw yep. it out and eat it later. And it's just it's a common thing, is like the small country, oh, yeah. the Brunswick stew. Yeah, church parking lots, man. Get get it by the court and eat eat one of them and freeze the rest. But yeah, you're talking about um, Tommy's is different now. Like my hometown, we had uh, a Daystrom Furniture Factory. We had a George Pacific and a Burlington Factory, um, which was pretty massive for our hometown. We provided quite a bit of that product for uh, the East Coast coming out of our hometown, and then when uh, Get all NAFTA came, all those went across the border, and we got left with just pretty much like one, just one small factory and a big Walmart. That's it. Yeah, you know, people used to stay in our town. Downtown used to be hustling and bustling. Downtown stores open up. You know, you had multiple different pharmacies, like mom and pop pharmacy shops, everything, but. Like like Dustin, like you said, that's different today, man. No one stays there anymore. Every time I go home, as I hardly see anybody anywhere that I went to high school with. Uh, I would say that even like of my graduating class, probably thirty. It's a little bit higher than it, it isn't as probably as few as like what Dustin's was. I would say probably thirty-five to forty percent of the people my age stayed back home but they all work for like the city or they work for the paper mill. If the paper mill wasn't there, they wouldn't be doing that. If the city didn't have like sanitation in the water district, they wouldn't be staying there. They would have had to move too. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's like the economy on that is very different. Um, I, I, even, I follow this old, this page called old Raleigh that has a lot of pictures of Raleigh from past decades. And just, I've seen a lot of changes just in the 11 years I've been here, but the changes since like the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even in the two, early 2000s, they were showing the old North Hills Mall uh, that d- doesn't exist anymore. They were, and so many people were telling stories in the comments about how their moms and their grandmas worked their entire careers at like department stores. Like yeah. that's not a realistic job anymore if you want to be able to afford things and provide for a family. It was like some of them were like single parents and they, they supported their family working at like a JCPenney. Like that just, that's not realistic anymore. Cause I was, I read the other day and when I say read, I mean, I saw a Instagram reel that <laughs> uh, said that in the average town in America, you have to, the household income, if you want to be a homeowner and want to be kind of middle-class, the household income has to be at least $120,000. And they did the breakdown of all of a mortgage with the current interest rates. They did a very conservative estimate on like car payment and just like all the other bills and after they used after tax income and they said, I hope you don't plan on having children. 
uh, or having an emergency pop up because with all just your regular necessities and regular spending for groceries, you most people w- with that income being a homeowner would have $200 left over at the end of the month. And that's without having kids. And it's just, it was talking about like, that's kind of where we're at right now. Like we were talking about the changing economy. It's, it's affected small towns probably more harshly, but it's really is kind of widespread in a lot of ways too. So to that point, because you're talking about $200 left over at the end, right? I would posit this. Um, for those that think I like live all the time in Maryland, um, I do not. I am on the road a lot for work. I have spent, I'll, I'll just put this out there. I've spent a decent amount of time and <laughs> I lived in North Carolina for about 10 years and then spent a decent amount of time in North Carolina, Tennessee, Florida, South Carolina and Georgia for sure. So um, I haven't been to what I would refer to as the deep South as much. I, I can't speak to that as much, but I've been in Louisiana and I've been in small towns in Louisiana, um, which is kind of fascinating. And then obviously over in Texas, here's what I was going to say to your point about 200 bucks. There are what I'll call artisan restaurants in hub cities. So Atlanta, I guess Charlotte. I, I hate Charlotte. <laughs> and, um, and, Charlotte uh, does kind of suck. <laughs> and Louisville. I'm trying to think of another one like Charleston, Nashville. You, you get artists and stuff there, right? But that's kind of like the the hip spot, and like people are moving in. It's right. Same thing happens in Boston. It happens in Denver, right? Denver's not even a southern city. But um, uh, I do wonder if what y'all's opinion is on like chain restaurants like i feel like there's a certain thing if you depending on the size of the town if you go into a small town like i feel like you can kind of pick out like that's the piggly wiggly or that's the grocery store right or the harris teeter or whatever maybe they don't even have a harris teeter maybe they just have a dollar general and then like if you go around the corner it's like it's it's like the little strip mall where it's like that's the places and it's like you know what the places are going to be before you go there and it will be an olive garden it's going to be a, you know a chili's and a o'charlie's and a ruby tuesdays yeah i mean like is, is that fair or like because i mean that, and that's that's a big big small town to have those oh, that's i mean it's right. like yeah you know like the it depends you know if, if you're on the smaller side of that scale it's like mcdonald's mm-hmm. uh a real well i mean this is this makes no sense because all burger kings are shitty but a shitty burger king um a it in the south often you'll find like a hardy's yep. maybe an old time hardy's mm-hmm. um and then like maybe a couple local restaurants and then like that's it you know and, and in our town, we're an interstate town. So we basically have every chain restaurant, fast food, yeah. sit down, whatever. All the like chain hotel brands, right? like everything. It's, and it's because we're an interstate stop. So people stop there when they're traveling long distances or just to get food or whatever. So a big like churn of the local economy is that. Oh, yeah. So that's where I'm talking about. Go ahead. Because when you talk about restaurants, you know, one of my things I was going to talk about being, you know, small towns is, uh, you know, you're in a small town, definitely in the South, when um, 
not only do they have a Dairy Dell and or a Dairy Queen, but they're also like got a lot of customers on a daily basis. And not just, well, that was popular 30 years ago and no one goes there anymore. Like my, like for instance, one of my, the ones in my hometown still, every time I go home, I go past it at any given time, there's at least, you know, four or five people in line ordering food for like, not just like a quick snack, so like probably ordering, you know, ordering food for like lunch or dinner. Like to piggyback off of Morgan, you were referencing like the Dairy Queen and everything. Like that's something that I think is pretty uniquely, even though like the uh, the chain is kind of more in some ways national now, like a, a pretty uniquely Southern thing that it makes a small town, a Southern small town is like Dustin mentioned Hardee's because yeah. Hardee's was, you know, founded in Greenville up until 2001. The headquarters was in Rocky Mount, North Carolina, but a lot of people who are not from the South probably think, oh, Bojangles. Bojangles is kind of like coming down here and saying y'all every other sentence. Like Bojangles is good, don't get me wrong, I like it. But if you really want to know, if you're in a rural Southern small town, there's maybe one or two Hardee's because I'll give you a good contrast. In Raleigh, there's a Bojangles on every corner. There's maybe three Hardee's in the entire area. In Runner Rapids, within one of them's technically in Gaston, but in Runner Rapids alone, we have three Hardies. We have just as many in Runner Rapids as we do, and we have one Bojangles as we do in uh, Raleigh. Because it, and there's even like Raleigh Green's done it once, Muscadam Lullaby's done it once. They've referenced a Hardies biscuit in their songs, and it makes me smile every time because Dustin and I grew up not a stone's throw away from a Hardies uh, on East 10th Street in Runner Rapids, and that is something that we definitely ate a lot of growing up was a Hardy's chicken biscuit. So when I hear like these, these artists from like Alabama and Mississippi referencing a Hardy's biscuit, like I said, it brings a smile to my face because that is a pretty uniquely Southern thing in a small town. Yeah. And, uh, four, if you count Littleton, like, yeah, is, yeah, it's true. There is one so in Littleton we, too. They don't have a stoplight, but they got a Hardy's. <laughs> so when I would leave, Wilmington, Wrightsville Beach. And I would go to this is when I because when I first started going to Guys Weekend, right? You leave Wilmington, you drive up. Uh Guys Weekend is on an island in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay in a very sleepy, very small town in Virginia. Oh yeah. There is a Hardy's on the corner. It is next to the post office, a subway, an ABC store, a food line. Food line. Food line. That's where I was going next. Okay. And then there's one, well, there's three. There's a local Mexican place, a literally a soda fountain cafe on the corner, which of course, of course it's on the corner. I'm surprised they don't have glass bricks, but they do have Bible verses in the bathroom. And it's a, what I'll call a, like a up, uppity pizza place. Is that fair, Dustin? Uppity it, pizza yeah, yeah, a little. It's probably a little yuppy, but it's good. It they is. have like they have like four or five beers on tap, you know. So it's it's definitely a little like for the town. It's a little up yuppies, yuppy and, eyes, if that makes sense. And if you look this town up on the map and you talked about the place where I'm talking about, it is a street, and it is a side street. That is the end. So I would consider that like a small town. Right. There's a high school and some other stuff going on. Mm-hmm. But like that is downtown and you could walk it and you could you could easily walk your chihuahua, let's say, 
up and down Main Street and your Chihuahua would not be tired. <laughs> so, I mean, like, so oh, yeah. it's funny that you bring up parties and the only reason I'm saying that is that's not the only small town I've been to, but like, you go to Smyrna, Tennessee, there's a Hardee's. There's also a Jim and Nick's, which is the local barbecue place. And there's a Mexican restaurant, right? Which is like the local Mexican restaurant. And like, they do all right and they're real busy. And there's one other thing that is a glaring omission that I, I'm surprised that I have to be the one that brings this up because I hate this restaurant. It is always busy. There's all, I, maybe not in Gwyn's Island area that there, I, I don't know. Actually, I've been to Waffle House. No, well, I was going <laughs> to say that one too, but the Chick fil A. When a Chick fil A comes to your town, I feel like that means your town's now a big town. <laughs> yeah, you're you're definitely not on the smaller side of small town if you got a Chick fil A. Right. I mean, so I'm trying to figure out what the what the dividing line is between the two, like because like I feel like the Hardee's is a small town, Chick fil A is like the is like the bigger side of things, right? Like that's like a highway town. Yeah, yeah. Because like we have a Chick fil A, and we have probably for close almost not quite but almost 20 years now, but it's. It's strictly like Dustin said because it's right. You can see I ninety five standing in the Chick fil A parking lot. Like we we got a lot of that stuff because of I ninety five running right through the middle of the it, town. Yeah, it's it's a Starbucks and a Chick fil A. So all the people with jersey tags are like, oh, I know that. So they pull off, they get that, they get gas at Walmart, and then they leave. Like that's that's how that works. And there's a, a Arby's across the street that does. Uh, 10% of the business that Chick-fil-A does, but because Chick-fil-A's so busy, that 10% keeps them up. That so. Chick-fil-A is impossible to get through to you. Like every Chick-fil-A is normally very efficient. Our Chick-fil-A in Running Rapids is so, so slow. I went in there over Christmas. I would I had a uh I had gotten something from our crappy Chipotle that is the worst run Chipotle I've ever seen in my life. And then Ooh. I was like, I had a free sweet tea from Chick-fil-A. So I was like, oh, I'll pop over. It's literally one parking lot over from this crappy Chipotle. And I'll just get, because this Chipotle never has tea because again, it's crappy. Um, but the I was like, I'll just get the free tea from, it can't take but a second. I'll put it in on the app and whatnot. I sat there for 30 minutes waiting on a tea. It's just, there's so many people from traveling. Can't get through there. What about like an Elks Lodge or a Moose Lodge or something like that? Um, I, I think generationally, there's just a lot less of those than there used to be. And I, I think that's another thing that generationally has changed. You know, there used to be, so one of the selling factors and I, and I'm, I hate to downplay it a little bit again and sound like Mr. Yesteryear, but one of the selling factors of small towns over the years has been, especially Southern small towns, I feel like it's that community. You, know, you were kind of buying a community by living there. I, I do think that's maybe not as true as it once was. Um, and I think the symbol of that, again, is like sort of the idea of like Elks or a whatever club. Like there's just not, they don't really exist like they used to. Um, well, the, the generation that came after our folks, they didn't care about that stuff. Like our dad and our granddad that. You know, the once once a week yeah. Sunday or Friday night, you dressed up and the whole family went out to dinner at like the the one restaurant that's in town, and everybody knew everybody. 
Yeah, you the know? golden corral. Exactly. <laughs> back in the I mean, 80s. I'm serious. That's the, what we went to the golden corral all the time. Same, same here. Back back yeah. in the 80s, man. Golden corral was was fancy eating in the small towns, man. Like we were, I remember when I was probably 12 or 13 years old, we were coming back from Durham uh, to go home after a Duke football game. We stopped in at my dad's old town that he lived in for a cup of coffee when he was a kid in Roxboro, North Carolina. Yeah. And Roxboro, it was Friday night or no, Saturday night. We were going through <clears throat> and we were like, we're hungry. Let's stop and get something to eat. There was nowhere to eat. And the town looked like a ghost town except one spot, the Golden Corral. Golden Corral. Uh, right every car in town was in the Golden Corral and that place was hopping. Right next to a graveyard. <laughs> I know I go through Golden. I go through Roxboro every time I go home to uh, to Virginia, man. Five hundred one North. Yeah, yeah that that place. Uh, that's cop. Side note: You don't don't speed in that town. <laughs> the cops are assholes in that town, man. But yeah, that's that's one of those towns where it's like you know you could tell like when you're in there, like about about thirty years ago, this place was was. You popping, man. You know, you go you go through that town now, and it's sad because you go through it. You you see, just you can count three factories that are just dilapidated buildings falling to the ground that look look like you know thirty years ago. That was how you know employing like over a thousand people at each at each factory. It and that's a town with that's a big town with a lot of restaurants. I mean, if you went in there, it was always busy. It is kind of like, you know, and I know this wasn't even our intent with this topic, but it is kind of like it makes you kind of look back at how things were uh, in some ways. Like there, I've always said that, yeah, there are a lot of things that are better now than there were in the past. Um, So it's like not like we're just looking back at, like Dustin said, of yesteryear, yearning for the good old days and everything away. But everything wasn't bad either. If if only we could have like mixed the, the improvements in society with, the good things of the past, like that would be like the sweet spot because yeah. it just, there was, there was opportunity. There, there was a sense yeah. of hopefulness for people that they didn't have to have a fancy college degree and a fancy job to be able to make something of themselves and be successful and you know, live the quote unquote American dream that for a lot of people these days in America turned into the American nightmare. Like, like um, they, they were able to accumulate wealth and save and, working at the factory like like morgan's talking about those dilapidated buildings that used to be hopping and get and employed the town and like said, now had, that's just a thing of the uh, past like i said we had uh, come come back to another we had we had if i'm correct we actually had two burlington factories on top of having a, a, a daystrom uh, furniture factory and if you google that you'll see all, all the furniture they made you're like oh damn and then you're like a georgia pacific and you just look at all those factories and you're just like damn they like i said you employing like about a thousand people or so at each factory and uh but you know people got greedy oh yeah i mean we went from a manufacturing economy to a finance economy and then now everybody is enslaved to the banks for a good part of their adult lives politicians sold it as like it's gonna make everyone's life much better because it's gonna make everything you know more affordable for everybody it's like well what they felt to realize was well when you eliminate those jobs who the who the hell do you think is going to be buying the product you know like oh well that just gives them time to go find another job and go back to school was like it's like 
newsflash, majority of the people that were working at those factories are not going to go get a four-year degree in accounting from, you know, yeah, North Carolina. It, and, 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 then, and then if they do, they're going to go get in line with the other two, 3,000 people who lost their job applying for those five jobs that are open. Like, it's my favorite thing that I've always heard people say. Like, they're saying, well, just go back and learn to code. Yeah, so you're telling someone who spent 15 years, 20 years working uh, in manufacturing, yeah. you know, just putting food on the table and trying to save and, and provide for their family to go back so, and learn how to yeah. code. And like, not, that's just, that's insane. Not to be disrespectful to people from our hometown, but you're asking <laughs> Southern Billy Bob Cletus, like, go learn coding, buddy. At 45 years old, and they're like, "What Morse code?" <laughs> like last 20 years, you you've been changing out the 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 uh, the fabric, the big big massive ass wheels of fabric on on you know the poles that are creating you know all the fat all the shirts and clothing and sheets and everything. Like, I'll go learn coding, and while you're at it. After you learn coding, and if you're good, lucky enough to learn it, um, you can go get in line with the other 3,000 people who did the same thing and apply once again for those five jobs. Um, oh, by the way, uh, uh, technology in about another 10 years is going to eliminate all those jobs too. So good luck. Let me, let me ask this, though, because we're kind of going down this private trail. There's a, there's a writer, uh, Logan, I'm sure you've read him before, Kevin Williamson. Mm-hmm. I love Kevin Williamson's uh, pieces. He's interesting. He's an interesting yeah. writer. He would be like, he, I've seen him basically say, like, he doesn't lament any of this. So we're we're talking about it in a in a sense of like this was a a better sense in a lot of ways, community, families, etc. He doesn't lament. It. He basically is like his retort, and he says it better than this. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't, but it's like, stop complaining and just move. He's, that's basically just his, his thing. He's like, just, just move. I'm so, I'm not, I don't feel bad for you. Just move. And, and I don't necessarily say that move where though, is the, is the question because like, are you saying telling everybody to move to the cities and the suburbs of the cities and then you're competing for the same jobs there and you're moving to a more expensive area. Like it, it's not that simple. This was the same uh, debate that I, I saw Ben Shapiro and Tucker Carlson have because Shapiro was saying that, you know, you don't have a right to stay in your same hometown near your family. He, he was, had the same argument that Williamson did just move. And, but then Tucker were like made a, a point. He's like, but there's something to the like money aside. There's something to the value of being around like your family and, and your your home place that has been your family has been there for generations there's like there's like a value to that that we shouldn't just be like oh yeah well fuck you just move and get another job somewhere else it's like it it's the i i don't know it's i get a little bit annoyed with that argument because moving is not necessarily going to solve the problem because i moved yeah. and i'm still kind of in a similar situation in the city because the city is still rather expensive and it's not like everybody's just going to magically you know when, with the asset prices increasing so much it's going to magically start paying you way more just because things got more expensive so does moving and, really help and and you know tied to that like i'll add on this and then you can you know morgan i think you had a similar thing when i grew up family was close yep 
So, you know, grandparents were part of your life, came to your baseball games. My grandma would pick me up from school sometimes, not like all the time, but sometimes. And we would like go get ice cream from the village grocery and then go to her house and like hang out. And like, it was a very regular, like family experience that like a combination of church, school, athletics, like whatever, that is sort of the idea of of that, that, you know, I'm not going to have, my kid's not going to have like tech in, in a lot of ways, I'm grateful for technology today because my kid gets to know my parents and to some extent my grandparents, but certainly my parents because she's able to communicate with them in a way that like mm-hmm. works for her because she could see them and all of that. But, you know, it'd be different if there wasn't that distance barrier. And so it's, you know, as part of that, like the just move crowd, like you lose that too. I mean, and maybe, I don't know, my, uh, my brain and tends to sometimes go towards a conspiracy theory on something like, we'll just move and, you know, get people to move to the city so all these small towns as you're seeing over the last 20 30 years have been just i mean you go through the state of virginia and go to all the small towns alone just in that state uh they're boarded up buildings the bo for weeds growing through the the middle of the damn roads the main that were the main highways in that small town you know just dirt cheap property plum for the picking and all these who knows maybe that's what they wanted and they're going to come in and all these secret you know, buyers are going to come in and buy up all this cheap. Now that it's cheap, they can buy it cheap and then tear it all down and build up new cities. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's, like I said, I have a conspiracy theory in mind sometimes. So sometimes like maybe that's what their plan was all along. It's all black rock. <laughs> uh, to your point about small towns in Virginia specifically. This is one town that I've definitely been thinking of because I was in it in June for a wedding, my cousin's wedding. Um, I uh, I went to Roanoke, Virginia. <laughs> um, that is an interesting town. It is not. I wouldn't refer to it as a small town, but it, it is a small people in a big town. Well, oh, okay. I mean small people. I, I, that's a bad way. <laughs> I know, I know you say that. <laughs> it's, it, you you go through Roanoke and it doesn't look like it's a small town, but it. But it, it is. Truly, but it is the way it that is. they the way people live and and move in that town. You wouldn't you know like it it doesn't what the big buildings and the people they don't it does some they don't they don't go together. So what's so I wonder this is what I was going to ask you guys. I wonder if this is maybe not the future for every town, but potentially the future for a small town. If you have a thing, whether it's a highway, app trail, um, a mountain, uh, a national park, whatever, you could, you could, uh, Crozet has Crozet in Virginia, which is yeah. near where we go camping. They have vineyards. Someone needed to come in. Look, here's what I can tell you. Hand, hand to God, honest, honest truth. The only time I've ever seen somebody play polo in my entire life was in Crozet, Virginia. And I was fascinated. 
I was like, guys, I need to, like, I've never seen this before. Like, I, I, I know the clothing brand, but, like, I, I can't believe I'm seeing polo being played at a winery in a small town in <laughs> Virginia. Like, this yeah. is I, I need to go stand and look at this for 30 seconds. So I guess what I'm saying is, like, uh, the reason why I bring that up is, like, Crozet is very, 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 very small. Small enough that we had to beg, if you remember, because um, we told the story on the pod, and, like, a, like a busser. Like a like a dishwasher to drive us back to a camper. I mean, this is a small town, and there because we had taken an Uber to the restaurant to right. earlier yeah. in the day. Yeah, and and Uber does not like exist in this town. So like the next day, I'm seeing polo played at a winery. I'm like, this is crazy. So so what I'm saying is, I wonder if here here's my question. I wonder if small towns in the south. Not unlike Roanoke, which which is what I started talking about. We stayed at a hotel in Roanoke that was an old bank that was turned into a hotel. It went like you went in, like it like the stuff rattled and whatever. But somebody, to your point, Morgan, about conspiracy theories or whatever, somebody came into that property and they put, put money into it because it clearly wasn't a bank anymore. Now it was a hotel. Now I'm sure it was dirt cheap property. <laughs> And who knows, but they are now charging, a, a de- a, you know, for, for the town, right? A decent amount of money to stay at that place. And we found a place in town. There are, there's like Sidewinders in Roanoke, which is kind of like a, a Bootsku Boogie kind of bar, which is pretty cool that that still exists. But like right up the street from Sidewinders, which is like a, like a, a square dancing bar is like this like artisan bar where I've had one of the best martinis in my entire life. And I can't believe that like that bar exists and those bartenders exist. I mean, they have like the things they wear on the sleeves and stuff. And I'm like, where did you, like, you must've imported this in. Like y'all must've like, like, where are you getting these like blue cheese and jalapeno stuffed olives? Cause you only go to the dollar general to get those. So like, like it's, it's, I guess what I'm saying is like these little towns or maybe even i'm thinking a little bigger than like a, a real small town i'm always curious when like i don't want to say it's gentrified but like because i know that word has a lot of attachment to it but i'm curious if just like in downtowns of particular areas where people move in and they send money in and they raise something different and all of a sudden it's like the new fancy hot spot to go to and it was maybe not so great a couple of years before I wonder if small towns, if there's a path for them, it may not be the path people want. It may not be the path the locals want. I do wonder if that's a path forward. There is um, for some. I I think the the larger thing is like you're going to, a lot of towns are going to, a lot will be worse off, but not all. Yeah. And like one example that of a town that has started to figure out transition is uh abington virginia which is tucked way down in the corner of of virginia it's good like, i know where you, i know where it's at yeah it's like near kentucky and um it's it's in the mountains so that that's coal country a lot of good folks down there they used to earn a living that way and we you know we don't have to talk about why they don't but they're not doing that as much anymore so what they have what has happened is they have been successful in getting other 
opportunities there. So for instance, Intuit, the big, you know, so, you know, like TurboTax and Credit Karma, all these companies has a, a big operation there. And people work, a lot of people work for Intuit now. That town's like 8,000 people. It's a beautiful town, beautiful mountain town. Like it's like they're downtown, you know, like it isn't like what we were talking about in Matthews, Virginia, where it's like just one street, or whatever. It's like just it's got this nice big like area. It's very like it's a, it's a nice place. And they've grown some and and been able to kind of like turn a corner and allow people to stay there through that. The, the challenge to that, though, is. How, you know, how do you replicate that in 500 towns or whatever the number is, you know? Yeah, yeah it, it's difficult because I, I, it kind of points back to, so uh, Charles Wesley Godwin, a country artist from West Virginia, was on Rogan the other day. And during the interview, he was talking about, like, he's from Morgantown, West Virginia. And he was talking about how, like, when he was growing up, like, his dad was a coal miner. And he was talking, he got to talking about the coal mining thing about how, you know, a lot of people don't realize how actually pretty safe it is now com- compared of like the, in terms of like, they don't have all the people dying in the mines like they did back I, in I've the been 50s underground. I can, yeah. I can speak to like that level. I've been yeah. down 200 feet or whatever it was underground. And like, like we had to take an elevator a long way yeah. down. It's, he said it's it, like a little city under there, essentially. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, a, it's a very, um, speaking towards the skills of the people who work in an industry like that, it's a very high tech job now. Um, it's pretty interesting to see if you ever get a chance to check it out. But he talked about that. And then he also talked about that while he was growing up and he's my age. So he said that there was a um, pharmaceutical company from a West Virginia native that had grown to be really big and that was located and headquartered in Morgantown. And he said that as long as the owner was alive, it employed, he kept it there out of principle because he had a love for his state. He had a love for his hometown. And he said it employed thousands of people. He said that the moment the guy passed, it was sold to a, uh, I believe a company overseas and they immediately shut it down. And all those people were just unemployed. And it's like, it ta- it's things like that that kind of points to like what Morgan was saying earlier about just the greed of, of a lot of companies. And that if you don't have the, the founder a lot of these companies are not founders anymore. They're hired guns coming in as CEO coming in, trying to just whatever it takes to just pad on the record profits to be even more record profits, no matter what the cost is to society and to, to people like it's, we don't have founders running companies anymore. We have people coming in that are doing those things. And then who's at the detriment of, you know, an increase of 4% this year in profits It's the people who have been working there for, for a long time, they lose their jobs and, that we've that's you know i know west virginia isn't kind of the south but that's morgantown isn't really like a small town per se but like that's just an example a microcosm of what we've seen across the country with a lot of these jobs just being sent overseas and it kind of gets to the dilapidated buildings and then people being unemployed and so on and and there is a path forward like you said ryan of like these kind of more boutique type things but even that i think has a ceiling just because that doesn't still that it doesn't employ the sheer amount, nor probably give the quite the economic lift that manufacturing once did to um, people living I mean, in these small towns. In order for that, that theory to work, you gotta have quite a few people move from let's just say that the city and a bunch of them come to a small town and open up random shops and restaurants and 
dive bars or sports bars or whatever you want to call them and just make it work like they all spend at each other's establishment i uh i maybe i didn't spit it out correctly when i was the martini was great i don't always drink them but but they suggested it and i'm fine with that it was eleven dollars in a small town i don't know we I, i i will tell you this we were the only people in the bar me, me and my wife are the only people in the bar. That's where, like, I don't know if that's the path forward. I can con- contrast that with another small town that I spent a lot of time in. Uh, I spent a lot, lot, lot of time in Laverne slash Smyrna, Tennessee. They are two different towns. They're separated by a highway. Um, there is a Nissan plant, uh, like, like factory, where they make cars um, down there. And that is pretty much like the business. Like when I had problems with vendors, it's because they were working at the Nissan plant. Like, hey, sorry, we got some electrical stuff we're doing over at the Nissan plant or whatever. Um, uh, Dustin, I know you have a friend from Franklin. I know Franklin's a, a highfalutin town, but um, it, it, they had a uh, plant over in Franklin too. And when you drive into Franklin, you know that that's kind of like a rich area. And it'd be crazy because like you'd go from, and this is another thing. I don't know if you guys want to comment on this or not. Maybe that's just a, a sign of the outer skirts of Nashville. But you could go from a house that had like, I don't know, seven private waterfalls or something crazy that like all emptied into like, you know, a pool or whatever. And you're like, this is, you know, is this like Tim McGraw's manager's house? Like, what, what is that? <laughs> and in like 20 minutes on some single lane road with a picket, you know, the, the, the the pick fence or whatever right and like the whole thing re- real nice and rolling and you know it looks like they've got five acres and then like you could come to the one stoplight and you go over the overpass right and it was like they had the nissan plant they had the hospital that was a big employer which again not saying anything uh, my, my own brother-in-law works at a hospital I'm, i mean like i'm saying like that it hospitals uh Maybe we don't need to go into like addiction and a bunch of other stuff that happens in small towns, but like hospitals are big employers. Um, and then if you go beyond that, there was a subway. I think there was a Jersey Mike's. And like I mentioned, there was like the Home Depot and like the, the Mexican store or uh, sorry, the, uh, like the Mexican restaurant or a Spanish restaurant. And then like that was the end of town. And I think there was a reservoir and maybe like uh, the only other thing I can think of in that town that was like a big deal besides the school where everybody taught elementary, middle and high school was um, the uh, quarry. And like, that's what people did. You worked at the quarry, you worked at the hospital, you were a coach at the high school. That's uh, exactly one position. <laughs> or you, yeah. So like, there wasn't, I'd like, it's just, it's fascinating to go from like, I guess what I'm, that's just one town, but it's certainly a town I'm thinking of. And I'm sure that uh, I know, for example, that this happens in Louisiana too. When you leave New Orleans, there's some really right, uh, nice, pricey places there. And you drive 20 minutes or 15 minutes or less. And all of a sudden you are in a very small town, Louisiana, where it's, it's a Raising Cane's and it's the equivalent of a food lion and it's whatever. And it's fascinating to see that like, the suburbs are, are, or even the small towns, like the super, super, super small towns in the south, are that removed from like the real estate, if that makes sense. 
No, yeah, they are. I mean, um, the other model, I guess, that I'm, I don't know if it's a model. The other comment I'll have is like our, something we're seeing in our area in Littleton, North Carolina, which is a tiny little town that we talked about. It's got a Piggly Wiggly and a Hardee's and like a hardware store. This Italian restaurant has been there forever and a couple gas stations and then a bunch of older buildings. <clears throat> Basically what has happened is there's a, there's a gentleman. I don't even know how he made his money to be honest with you, but he's a billionaire. He graduated from high school. In he's like since moved back to the area and he's like dumping a bunch of money into the town. So they have like, this like fancy restaurant that's actually pretty expensive. Um, like this fancy like coffee shop. They're building a brewery, like some kind of cool things. Um, but it's sort of a question of, you know, I mean, is it sustainable and how often how many places can do it? Because how many places are gonna have a benefactor who can come in and, you know, do those things? And then this town benefits from they're close to Lake Gaston, which is just going to naturally have a built-in market of people who are willing to spend money on these things. So, you know, there's, everybody's got to find their path, but it's interesting to see what's going on in that town, which is a legitimate, very small town and sort of what's that going to look like in 10 or 20 or 30 years. Yeah, that's a, that's that, um, like mountain or lake or whatever thing I was talking about, right? If you could put a small town next to, I mean, I guess Wilmington once started as a small town, right? Uh, Hilton Head, <laughs> Myrtle Beach, that's obviously sprawl. But um, Morgan, I, I, I keep meaning to bring this up. Um, you tell me what you think. What about a racetrack? I know you yeah. guys had the racetrack in South Boston, right? I mean, yeah. And and now that I won't say it's been outsourced, right? And I'm not trying to be the NASCAR guy, but like, uh, for example, uh, since I've been watching NASCAR in the last like six seven years, right? Or just local races, um, the a small town for me in the South. I mean, it's not that you don't see this in New Hampshire or whatever, but uh, they've now moved races from like dover again i i understand delaware south south but they've moved a race from dover to a massive racetrack in uh nashville now yeah. i mean Nat nascar used to be on the circuit with all this all these small town um racetracks like orange county over there in durham yeah there orange County speedway there south Boston speedway my hometown you had the kinson there's a speedway in kinson um all these small towns, but you know they. Well, I guess you would call it greedy. They went to the bigger, bigger tracks for more people, and kind of left these uh, these small tracks to the wayside. You know, where just now, if 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 they are still operating, it's because just some local kids, and maybe from a county or two over as well, will come there and, and race for a very small purse, and that's about it. And you can, yeah. and from being, when I was a kid and going to these races, you know, the, the, the cars that you saw that were the late model stock 
racing still pretty decent cars that look just like the ones you'd see uh on sundays driving but you go to them now if you go to my hometown and they're just like these jerry-rigged race cars that are just like jesus is guy gonna make it around the lap around 100 laps or not because it's gonna fall apart and it just it's but yeah you go through these small towns and you you see a racetrack you know it's uh it's a good indicator there yeah in our area we it was never anything for like nascar but we do have uh i think one or two uh racetracks that you like you said morgan the the rinky dink late model uh the the local rednecks they they go yeah. and they race there that's still a thing very much where oh, yeah. we're saturday, saturday nights man mm-hmm. if you if you were if you weren't too far away from the racetrack Saturday nights, you could smell the tires burning and the sound of the whipping around around the track. And it's like, all right, there's a race. I go visit when I go visit my uncle, uh, the guy uh, with the family that graduated from tech. Right, they were very much raised in a small town in coastal Virginia. Um, and uh, well, he, my uncle's from Delaware. Coastal Delaware. So shocking that he said it in Coastal Virginia. But um, one of the things that we do is we go to the local track. It's just it's just what we do. You can hear the tires. To your point about smelling them, and to, again, it I, I is it is it worse? I don't know. I mean, like Denny Hamlin like sponsors a race at that track every year, and that makes a lot of money. But like, yeah. is it is it worse? No, I kind of think it's better but that's me i'm thinking about it from a entertainment perspective because those guys have so much on the line that like to your point earlier about the economy like if something breaks on their car or something like that those guys are going to like come to fisticuffs like every time which is great for the fan because you feel like passionate about like man like this is crazy like these guys are really laying it all out there and like they really got a lot invested but like the problem is that you you walk away from it you almost feel like a tourist you know what I mean? I mean, I, I am a tourist to Pocosin, which is the name of the town. But, like, I almost feel bad because I'm like, man, I, 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 these guys are passionate about this. And they're, and they're putting their money and their wallets and the whatever out there. And, like, you know, it's just, so the racetrack is one idea. Uh, Logan, I know you have, uh, like, you're into wrestling and stuff like that. My, my, thought, yeah. my thought process about, like, going to a small town is... I always feel like the events are different or like the entertainment is different. Like if it's, if it's a crawfish boil or if it's like Brunswick stew at the church, or if it's like what, what I'll say, like what passes for entertainment, like in a small town is completely different from like what you would expect in even like a moderately sized town. Yeah. Cause like you mentioned wrestling. So like professional wrestling, that is something that is slowly been phased out to an extent but it still is a thing to an extent because it used to be as we've talked about the days of yesteryear a lot today it used to be that like there wasn't the wwe wasn't a thing in the sense of a national this is the big leagues kind of thing for a long long time it was a territory system they were in the northeast there was jim crockett promotions and a lot of other smaller territories that ran in the carolinas and these guys they toured everywhere they yeah they toured raleigh they toured charlotte but they also toured these small towns <clears throat> and like Ric Flair has wrestled in run at rapids back in the seventies. Um, Dustin and I, that was a great grandma 
I want to say great grandma. She so Wahoo McDaniel and any like longtime pro wrestling fan would recognize that name. <clears throat> or no, it was uh Blackjack Mulligan. Sorry, they would recognize that name too. He would like even he started to recognize her because she was always in the front row whenever they came through running rapids. And that's something that was for a while, you know, the the old school Southern wrestling is a specific style of wrestling that that they would come through these small towns and they would hit these small towns at gymnasiums and armories and everything that kind of went away when it got nationalized in the eighties. But that was something that in the South in particular, there was, it's still ingrained in the culture to an extent, but not like it used to be where pro pro wrestling, as they say, was a big thing. And Ric Flair was a huge deal. The four horsemen, a huge deal in small towns. Like you, you still, well, uh, all the people from small towns will still try to travel to like Raleigh to see the independent shows now, but they just don't hit the small towns as much as they used to. It's something that's kind of uh, gone and in, in the past at this point. Yeah. Well, another example. This may be North Carolina specific. I don't know, but I only have that frame of reference. There used to be an ACC Burnstorm tour after the college basketball season. And basically what that means is, you know, if you've never experienced this where you live, the, at the end of the college basketball season, a bunch of the players, the, the guys who are seniors, and I'm talking about, you know, this was pre-NIL days and, and all this stuff. Uh, they would get together on a couple different teams. It'd be a lot of like, it's, for us, you know, it'd be a lot of Carolina, Duke, Wake Forest, State, you know, a few other players, they would all get together and play all over the place. And people would, you know, all, you know, small towns like ours, bigger cities, whatever, they'd play a game. People would buy tickets after the game. You could go and meet them. They'd sign autographs, like this whole thing. Right. And it was a way for these guys who were like seniors who had just finished their college up. They, they'd get some money out of it. Obviously not like NIL money like today, like the big athletes do now. But these guys like got, you know, a little something out of it and people got entertainment in their hometown. Like it got played in high school gymnasiums, basically. And um it was it was a very cool event that people got and, excited about. And it was still happening pretty recently. I don't think it happens anymore. <clears throat> I haven't seen anything about it, but when I was in high school it was still going on because I remember uh, 2011, 2012 was probably my senior year of high school. They, the barnstormer tour was coming through running rapids and I got to meet Kyle Singler and Nolan Smith and got them to sign my 2010 sports illustrated national champions, uh, edition magazine that I have framed in my room back home. Uh, it was like Justin said, it was really cool. Cause you had, especially like being an ACC country, you, it was very heavy on NC state, UNC and Duke players that would come through. And uh, get, getting to meet those guys, they took time to talk to you and everything. It was it was a really cool event that I just unfortunately haven't heard that if they even still do that anymore. Raycom Sports and Hardy's ruined everything. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll broadcast it on the CW. <laughs> um. I don't even know if I want to bring this up, but um, this has not been the most uh, not depressing end of this episode. <laughs> but what I was going to say about uh, small towns for sure is 
do you guys think that uh, someone, I forget who it was, maybe you, Logan, mentioned like a loss of hope or something like that. I don't want to say that that defines uh, small towns at all. I actually think it's the opposite. I think that the amount of optimism from the people that I've met and stuff like that and the ability, quite frankly, if I'm being honest, the ability that I've seen from people that go to work every day and to exist on a daily basis in a nine to five or whatever you want to call it or shift work or, or, or whatever and find, and maybe they're all just lying to themselves, but find the ability to drive a, a, a car to the Iggly Wiggly or whatever you want to call it and just kind of exist and say like, this is okay. And like, I know that there's like, like I mentioned in the past, like addiction issues and stuff that definitely plague communities. They play communities in the cities, let alone just small towns. But for me, I, I actually feel, and maybe I'm naive, but I actually feel like there's a sense of optimism that comes out of these places because I go to these places and I'm like, man, I don't know if I could, to your point, Dustin, earlier about like, Maybe I'd be the person squealing the tires. I'm not as bad as Northern Virginia, but I'd also be the person that's like, man, like there's got to be something better than freaking Applebee's. And like mm -hmm. if they're willing to like, just like live with it and be like, hey, this is this is what I know. And this is what the people before me knew. This is what the people before me or that knew. And like things are getting better because like I hear we might be getting a Chick-fil-A. I'm like, like that, like, like that optimism, it, 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 helps maybe that's just me though because maybe i wasn't raised in a town like that so maybe i'm again being a tourist and being naive. it's it's easy to get stuck in a, in a small town if you grew up there and i mean i i think i was at a crossroads where i could have easily just finished up at danville community college and stayed in that town but i was like i want something more than this and something bigger and i got on there's a lot of people i went to high school with that were just content with i know this i know that i that's my roof guy that's my it guy that's my whatever guy you know um I, I know that back road. I know that shortcut. I know this road. And for some of those people having to go and learn all the the new people or new places they got to go to, bigger cities, some of those people might just be too, they won't admit it because they try to be too manly about it, but too overwhelming for them. And they don't want to get in the hustle bustle cities and are just content with, you know, Friday night, their front or back porch in the main part of town is nothing but you know stars and fireflies and that's it and crickets and that's in the more populated part of the small town and it's still fireflies crickets and stars and they yeah. just i don't i don't want to go live in the city and for some of them it's like they won't admit like i don't they don't want to deal with fighting everybody for a job in the big city or dealing with assholes in the big city I've thought about that before too, Morgan, because I'm I'm kind of with you on that. I think the one thing where I guess I have kind of changed a little bit as I've gotten older is I look at, I, I have an affinity for Runic Rapids, obviously, because I grew up there. Um, and I have a lot of really good friends that are still there. Um, my family's still there. I, I genuinely enjoy being there and going back to visit. And I, I've, I've thought about this in recent years that in some ways, I wouldn't mind living there again 
It's just if it wasn't the way that it is now, if it was like a better version of Runograph, it's just be, in meaning like if there was opportunities to make money and to be able to like do what I want to do there, I would I would live in Runograph again. I just don't know if that those opportunities actually exist there. And that's what keeps me from being able to like move back there. Um, but it's like, that's something that if you had asked me when I was 18, 20, 22, I would have said, hell no. But like now I've kind of changed my, my tune on that a little bit. I just don't think it's a real, a feasible reality. Oh, trust me. If it is as far as just like traffic, I wouldn't give, I would give anything to have traffic, like the traffic in uh, good old South Boston where <laughs> barely in cars on the road. <laughs> because yeah, yeah, but, yeah like, like you said, a better, a better version of what it is right now would, would yeah. be nice, but not, but at the same time, mix it with the, the quiet peacefulness as well would be, would be nice. Yeah. So basically if miserable and reckless started making us lots and lots of money, I probably would live in running rapids out in the country somewhere. <laughs> Mash that subscribe button. Make yeah. sure you subscribe to the Patreon. <laughs> yeah, you hear that? You hear that, Bojangles? We're looking for sponsors. Maybe you. <laughs> <laughs> I hear they have fiber internet coming to town soon, so we'll be able to podcast anytime I want. <laughs> <laughs> well. We didn't cover. We've covered a lot, and I feel like this is a a topic that you know we probably will broach in some ways again on a future episode. But while this probably wasn't what I expected when we came into it, I, I think that we did a, a solid job talking about uniquely southern things, but also kind of taking a a, a very real look at kind of like the state of the union of like rural America right now. It, it's this was a this was a fun conversation. So, well, be sure to give us five stars and a great review on Spotify and Apple Podcast. This is Miserable and Reckless. I'm sitting here with Morgan, Dustin, and Ryan. See you next time.